back on this, the 18th anniversary of the theatrical opening of the great cinematic adventure, Cats and Dogs. This is another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. We are doing a movie event pod for you today uh, on July 4th, recording it July 4th, hopefully releasing it July 4th for your listening pleasure, covering Ari Aster's latest film, his second film, his follow-up to 2018's Hereditary. We are doing a deep dive into Midsummer today, or is it Midsummer? We don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, This is Mike One. I'm your co-host. And this, or next to me here, is also Mike. Also Mike here. We're doing a non-spoiler review first, but I do have a caveat. And we talked about this in the pre-production. I think this is going to be helpful to those of you listening to this, because if you're listening to a Midsommar non-spoiler review, you're kind of curious, right? You want some clues? Eventually, I'm going to tell you what this movie is not. Like Mother, the Darren Aronofsky, Jennifer Lawrence, Javier Bardem film, we feel that that was mismarketed. Retroactively nominate J-Law, you cowards. We feel that was overhyped. I definitely want to get you ready for what some things you're not going to see, which will be reassuring in a way. You need reassuring in this movie to sit through it. If you're going to see this, go in with expectations that hopefully we can help you manage a little bit. Yes. So after the cast and crew, what you need to know after that profile with all the specs, we will start to get into some of those clues, FYI. Yeah, Mike alluded to it. Still no new format for the movie event yet. We're close to having something. We are, we've actually, (laughs) we're on the verge, believe it or not. Well, I'll, I'll promise you this. We'll get the new movie event format before we get the website up. Yes. That's a promise. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, for now, we're going to keep the old format. What the old format is, is two reviews for the price of one. Mike just told you we're going to have a non-spoiler half. That's how we lead off the first half of every movie event pod, every Oscar Sprint profile. It's non-spoiler. So, if you've not seen the movie yet, don't worry. You're in the safe space here. We're just going to tell you why you probably should see it. We'll give you information about it and let you know if it's something you should or should not spend your time and money on. There will be a spoiler warning. And after the spoiler warning comes the spoiler section. That's when we get into the plot, all the twists and turns, our highs and lows and all that fun stuff, but we're going to start, like I said, with a non-spoiler review, and to kick that off, Mike's got the cast and crew. Yes, I'm going to do that, but I do want to make one promise here about the website. I think this is important. <laughs> yes. You know, before the Harga's next Midsummer <laughs> Festival, yeah. we'll get the website out. So we got 90 Hopefully. years. Hopefully. We got 90 years. <laughs> we hope. All right, cast and crew. Uh, crew-wise, we have this film written and directed by Hereditary's Ari Aster. This is his second film, his follow-up. He said throughout the uh, production interviews that this was his 11th script. He kind of had 10 years in the wilderness before Hereditary was bought, before he became the the big talk in horror movie circles. A24 scooped him up there. So this is his second film that he actually made. He's got a bunch of scripts that are ready to go. This was the the follow-up that he wanted. He wrote this four years ago after going through a tough breakup, Mike. This is well known now. He gets a laugh at all the festivals, at all the Q&As, whenever he says that. (laughs) I have so many thoughts. (laughs) Uh, So his hereditary script sells as a production nugget here to get that out of the way. His hereditary script sells. His name is Red Hot in horror circles. Like I said, a Swedish production company comes to him and says, we want you to make a horror film set in Sweden. A24 is like, all right, we want a slasher film set in Sweden. He's like, I don't think I can write a slasher film, uh, but I do have this idea for a a possible movie. (laughs) And he gave himself like this final weekend where he was struggling with the project, and he's like, all right, if I don't come up with a story that I like in this final weekend, then I'm just not going to do it. He did come up with something 
the Swedish production company was on board, as you'll talk about. I'm so tired of all these stories about people finally powering through after giving themselves. Like Aronofsky with Mother is a great, he's, sure. he was sick, right? And over a weekend, he just powered out the entire script. He's like, it just came to me. Paul Thomas Anderson got sick. Yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. You stop it. <laughs> Jerks, you're so talented. <laughs> but I guess if you got 11 scripts under your belt, then this, this you, you know, know you got your write. reps. Yeah. You got your reps, so you know how to do it. Uh, Midsummer stars Florence Pugh, who's going to be nominated for Oscars sooner than later. She is going to be huge. Yeah, she was nominated for a BAFTA Rising Star and a bunch of film festival awards, but that's about it. She hasn't really won much. Uh, Lady Macbeth and Fighting With My Family, which we we reviewed earlier in the year, yeah. about the wrestling story with uh, Paige, I want to say Van Zant, but I'm wrong. <laughs> Close. <laughs> you can correct me? The Knight family over there in England. Page yeah. Knight. Okay. Yeah. We really liked that movie. I really liked that movie. You had some quibbles, yeah. but she was good in it. We both liked her. She was, her. yeah. She also acted in Park Chan Wook's The Little Drummer Girl, which I think shortens your life expectancy by five years. <laughs> oh, yeah? I didn't wa- see that. I, I think watching <laughs> Park Chan Wook, everything kind of shortens your life expectancy. Or maybe the fear that you have going into Ari Aster, Park Chan Wook will extend your life expectancy because fear keeps you alive doesn't it so well i, I don't know which I, way to I don't it. know that <laughs> but I, I i guess she's getting she's getting well versed in different types of horror and creepiness okay so me and florence we're getting cancer right all right about the, <laughs> the stress will do it. anyway pew plays danny ardor that name is deliberate here in midsummer her boyfriend is played by jack rayner he's from free fire and sing street and the character is not accidentally named christian mm-hmm. danny reluctantly Tags along with Christian and his friends on their trip to Sweden for a nine-day festival. Those friends are played by William Jackson Harper, who's Josh. He's from The Good Place. It's awesome. I guess he wanted to do something totally opposite of The Good Place to do this film? Yeah, and yet he's still a like a doctoral student and still okay. spouting off a bunch of knowledge like he would in The Good Place. So I think it's just like the evil version so of it's his. it's the same but different. Right. That's yeah, kind of a plan. go-to casting uh, <laughs> maxim, I would say. Will Poulter is turning into a chameleon. He was just all muscled up as a police officer in Detroit. Now he looks like this skinny grad student here uh, as Mark. Poulter's also known from the Maze Runners and We're the Millers, where he's a little kid. He's funny. Yeah, I couldn't believe it was him. Finally, uh, one of the best performances, in my opinion, comes from an unknown. Uh, the final friend is played by Wilhelm Blomgren. He is Pell. He's a Swedish actor, and this is English language debut, Mike. Oh, well, there you go. We've got a lot of cult members, of course. They do a hell of a job. This is a great ensemble, but too many to mention, and uh, you got some specs, Mike. Shitload of extras in this one, that's for sure. Midsummer specs written and directed, like Mike told you by Ari Aster. Lars Knudsen is back as a producer alongside Patrick Anderson, and A24 does the distribution, which of course means that you shouldn't get your hopes up for this one to get an Oscars push in any way. A24 has a bit of a history lately of not putting a lot of resources into four-year consideration campaigns yeah they have problems with this but we hold grudges and we the grudge we hold is mostly surrounding a24 with uh, hereditary yeah I, th- I think didn't they do uh, eighth, eighth grade, grade as well? Too, yeah, yeah. yeah, eighth grade and hereditary. Both were, were the Oscar uh, Oscar nominees. And yeah, we thought neither so. one there. Yeah, uh, debuted July third, twenty nineteen, which is yesterday as we're recording this, with a one hundred forty seven minute runtime and an R rating. Astor's first movie, which was last year's Hereditary, was made for ten million dollars. That's its production budget, and starred longtime industry stars such as Tony Collette and Gabriel Byrne. Since Midsummer's leading main supporting cast are all roughly in their mid to late twenties, it may not be so surprising to hear that the 
budget for this movie was actually a step back from Hereditary. Wikipedia and Deadline both put this film's budget between five and nine million dollars total. Okay, that's conservative for A24. Yeah. Nine million dollars on a follow-up film that may not have the box office might that Hereditary did. On the lower end. Its projection is actually pretty close to Hereditary, but mm. it's done well this far. Deadline also said that Tuesday preview showings made the film 1.1 million stateside on its way to a projected five-day domestic box office opening of 13.8 million, which interestingly enough would just beat out the three-day opening weekend Hereditary was able to do last year as it pulled off a $13.6 million three-day opening, but Hereditary all also received excellent word of mouth, both for its unique script and for Tony Collette's Oscar potential after debuting at Sundance during January of last year as well. Uh, Hereditary would go on to make $44 million domestically en route to a $79 million worldwide box office, so you'd like to think if Midsummer hits its projected opening, it could outdo Astor's first film, though that may be a tough ask as only four films since the beginning of 2018 have opened wide, made less than $14 million in its opening, and grossed more than $45 million stateside total. Uh, those are Vice, Black Klansmen, those obviously Oscar nominees, Interestingly enough, Book Club, hmm. and the only 2019 film of the four to do it thus far, the teen romance film Five Feet Apart. I'm guessing it's going to wind up with around 45 to 50 million total worldwide. Probably. But you never know. Word of I, mouth, I think, hereditary might help it. Yeah, I think 40 to 45 is where I would think this. The I, critics I hope, love it. Yeah, I, yeah, I hope it does better, and I would like to see Ari Aster make money, and obviously $10 million, and Hereditary was able to pull in about eight times that. That's in the black for A24. Mm -hmm. You just want this to make money. We need these kinds of films to keep happening and being out in theaters. So sure. that's that's the hope and that's the allure. Okay, plot premise reads, Michael, a couple travels to Sweden to visit a rural hometown's fabled Midsummer Festival. What begins as an idyllic retreat quickly devolves into an increasingly violent and bizarre competition at the hands of a pagan cult. So we get a lot there. Yeah, that is, that's a chock full of... Uh, Kind of spoilers, too, right? It reveals pretty much the dark side of this movie for the most part. So what were your expectations going in? Come on. <laughs> who knows? <laughs> <laughs> you really you went into it with a who knows. Yeah, I, I, you know, it was Ari Aster. I knew it was going to be a lot of symbolism and a lot of messed up stuff and some camera tricks. And I didn't really have any kind of expectations with the plot because it didn't do me any good having expectations for Hereditary. Well, I quote, you texted me. Bef while I was going in to see it, you were editing, uh, yeah. what was it, Spider-Man? Yes. And I was seeing this, <laughs> and I was like, you know, I'm a little afraid, Mike. Yeah. And you texted me, just, you're just such a jerk. Is an what evil I person, get. Yes. You're an evil man. And you're like, I hope somebody gets <laughs> carved inside out. Yeah. Not, but not, not part of the movie. I wanted that as like an accompanying performance piece <laughs> happening in the theater, actually. I was expecting grossness. Right. I think there was a reason to believe that we should expect grossness. Here's it didn't thing. happen a lot. Yeah, here's the thing. Now, Hereditary and The Shining and and here's where I'm going to get into the genre and, and, and give you a clue. Those are certain kind of movies, right? You get supernatural spectacle in those movies. I was expecting that going in, and I didn't get that. This is very much, uh, much more of a grounded in reality horror movie. Just say it. All right, it's a folk <laughs> horror movie, the, the genre that it's, it's said to be. Yeah. That's going to bring about you know one comparison in particular. It's like that movie. It's not like that movie. Fine. Uh, but I think if you're an anthropologist, you'll like this more than a regular person. I think if you're into like 
cults and like the last podcast on the left, all that stuff, like all those Waco and yeah. whatnot. I, I th- the Manson family. I think if you're into researching that kind of evil at times, if it helps ground you in your reality and it helps you in some way, shape, or form, I don't know how. <laughs> if if you if you're fascinated by that by that history and then by all the mythology of cult history, I think you'll like this more. I th- hope that helps you manage your expectations. It Does it have horror movie goods? Uh, certainly it does. Yes, for sure. But at the same time, it's not The Shining. It's not Hereditary. It's not The Witch, Double V, Vich, no. even. It's not the, those kind of movies. So no, it's not. Just beware. All right, so let's get into the non-spoiler review here. And look, I'm going to be super-duper high on these production values. Mm-hmm. But Ari Aster could have earned himself some easy points in my book with me. He's a fantastic movie maker. You got tables set beautifully. The production design, all those communal lunches and dinners just look gorgeous. The flowers, oh my God. Even every plate has presentation value that we see from like a distance from on high. We don't get close ups of the food. <laughs> What is wrong with him? Because it's gross, Mike. That's the Some whole point. of it later was gross, no, maybe. The, no, they even referenced it in the first meal that it wasn't I wanted close-ups oh, of the food. God, you gotta get off this. I wanted Guy Fieri, <laughs> man versus food, one no. by close-up. That wasn't the point the of the movie. Taste. It was actually the opposite of the point. <laughs> I, well, then I wanted something different, and I was very upset. And he could have added easy four points to the score. It would have been a much better movie, in my opinion, if you made delicious food and then you had gross food later on. Right. It should the food should have had a for art. the rational. The amongst food should have had a for the rational amongst us. There's <laughs> comments made about the food on the table in the early portion of the movie before you even get to all the sinister stuff going on in the background that the food is meant to be purposely unappetizing. Yes. Why do you want to close? I'm remembering that? that now. I'm remembering that now. But I, I would have liked because it looked beautiful from the you know the ceiling shots. The, yeah, the, the, sky set, shots. the setup, the, the production values of this are, are outstanding. I would yeah. even say the score is out. I mean, I, I know we're trying to focus on, but the 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 backgrounds in this movie too. And I know there's all kinds of Easter eggs. You can look at this painting, look at that painting. But just on, on surface level, the backgrounds of everything, how they found this field, this lush green field that goes on for miles. It looks fake. I guess they shot it in Hungary, according to the Variety article that I. I read so it really i mean this guy can not only find good sets he can make good props that fit an aesthetics theme and my god what he can do with the camera is just outstanding the overhead shot that mimicked the shining yeah. as they're following their path to that commune is is definitely an homage to the overlook you know going down the windy road there yeah i love how he totally goes upside down you see it in the trailer that's probably my favorite like go-to trope symbolism trope like your world's about to be turned upside down i'm such a sucker for it that was great yeah. that was a great shot i remember just like mouth open just oh my god that's he had the so balls awesome. to drive he, he reverses he turns the world upside down and he's driving down the this windy road with it and you're kind of i i don't know if it's just as simple as turning a camera upside down or then even though how would the hell would you do that because you'd have to be outside the car in front of the car with a giant camera turned around i hope it was men from the con and the cameraman was on one of those chairs taped to it <laughs> in a bear costume and then they right. flipped him upside down with the camera it was actually a human being being held by his ankles i don't know how he pulled these shots off and he if you read that variety article he goes on to say how he's always found joy in having these long 
standing shots that are all one take. Right. And he's very excited by the possibility that one thing could make it all go wrong and you'd have to reshoot it. He's a madman. He sounds like a psychopath. He he is definitely detail oriented. <laughs> so I, I'll give I'll say that much. He does a lot with those paintings. You know, yeah. He, and in all the production interviews, he's like, pay attention to the paintings and you'll get a lot of clues to what the movie's... It's a little on the nose, isn't right? it, though, with the, with, how, with the pictures that are painted? Isn't that a little... Well, I think the paintings are vague enough, okay. even though, like, because we don't jump from knowing what's exactly no, going to happen until, like, That's right true. before it. But you see the paintings and you know some things that are going to happen, yeah. which they show in the trailers, too. So you get clues with the right. paintings. Uh, you definitely get some artistic paintings during the prologue that that factor in as well. Yeah. Uh, the VFX, Mike, I, I wanted to highlight this. Look, I mean, they're taking hallucinogenic drugs throughout this movie. And you don't get the typical drug montage, right? This is not Fear and Loathing in Las no. Vegas. Everything is not going upside down like the cinematography. You just get those little touches, these subtle touches like grass. Uh, you're doing something with grass and the trees moving and stuff like that. I thought that was really clever. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Eyes getting bigger kind of deal. I, I really enjoyed that. Now, did they do some VFX with the gross stuff? Yeah, there's gross stuff in this movie. Thankfully, a person doesn't get turned inside out in front <laughs> no, of us. There's none of that. So we wanted to warn you not not to be t- so scared. And I guess reassure is the right word. There's here. not really any one visual that made me crawl out of my skin. Right. I mean, there's nothing that's really, you know, oh my God, I can't watch, watch this. I was expecting worse. Yeah. I think... In a weird way, you helped me get through this <laughs> because of that text message. Setting your expectations oh so high. Editing now, uh, Ari Aster's not a fan of jump scares. He said in no. the promotional interviews that they irritate him, and we don't get that here. Here's what I was expecting, though. Like, hereditary, you get spectacle, you get moments. We talked about that movie as giving us creep-out moments that would scare the living yep. hell out of, the, uh, out of us. This is more horror spectacles and you're like that's so fucked up i can't believe that's happening in a wide shot you know that's so fucked up you know i can't believe i'm getting this cut but it's not like something in the background that's just gonna blow your mind no it's not animal Right, I mean, we just we just reviewed Annabelle, and Annabelle has some jump scares, and we talked about them and commented on why they they're good and bad. You can go back and listen to that. But Ari Aster is more like theme setting and more more setting based. He just wants everything to be going. Something's off in every single scene, and it keeps you. Yeah, it doesn't keep you on the edge of your seat because this is a long movie and there is some downtime, but it, it definitely keeps you interested long enough. There's a lot of mirrors in this movie to say the last thing about production. I love his shooting with those. It's a motif. Does that say something about the symbolism in this movie right. that it mimics our real life? He's putting a mirror to us. Is it being literal there? You know, what do, what do we gauge from that? We'll talk about it in spoilers, perhaps. He shoots arguments through mirrors. He shoots arguments through yeah. a mirror. He shoots an argument through a, a reflection off a TV screen. Right. It's really stunning stuff. It's fascinating. All right, to get into the sound for a minute, the breathing, the screams in the distance... Again, we're not going for jump scares. There's some gross moments with the sound effects, but I think yes. overall it's a score that gives us a lot of dread. The sound effects didn't work on me like they did with Hereditary, though. Like, it's the, the horror movie sound effects, they don't have a board in the sound room filled with all those. No, the, the more impressed I was with was with the score, and the score was just 
messed up. <laughs> it was like it was like these harsh violin strings over a horn, over screaming, which was like in the background of it, and and it was just so off-putting, and it gets so intense at times, like two or three times in particular. It is so loud and just reverberating through your head as you're watching what's going on. I'm sure it's purposeful and it does its job, and it really kept me off kilter. But it is just. This is not a score I will listen to of my own accord. No, you can't. And Hereditary was the same way. Yeah. Like, unless you're a serial murderer, you're not going <laughs> right. to enjoy right. that yeah. score. And Hereditary, like, I would th- flip through the YouTube playlist because I, like, I can't remember the score, right? Flipping through the playlist, I can only hang on one song right. for, like, maybe 10, 20 seconds. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's very... Nails on a chalkboard. It's, like, intrusive is what it is. Right. And again, I, I'm sure it's purposeful and it does its job, and it certainly made me aware of it. It works with the visuals. It yeah. works with the film. We already talked about performances a little bit. I, I just wanted to highlight... Florence Pugh, she is so good. The performance is really subtle most of the time, and then she erupts with emotion. So you, I love Florence Pugh in this, I co-sign. Yeah. You happen to think that the Pell character, Pelly character, was also great. Which which would you rank one and two of this? Oh, it's definitely Florence Pugh. Okay. I, I like the way that Wilhelm played Pell. I, okay. I, I thought he did a really nice job because he, you're kind of guessing who what, what he's all about. Right. And, and now that's fascinating. I love Jack Rayner's performance. I, I think he this he burst on the scene in the role of Christian. Yeah, I, I agree. Again, he does stuff purposefully that's there, and I know it's there for the movie's sake and for the plot's sake, but it makes me want to pull my fucking hair out because this is not a person I would interact with or choose to spend time with. It's a, it's a strange way to get mad at these horror movie characters, right? Usually we they're just doing dumb shit. Right. Moronic shit, mm-hmm. and that's in every other horror movie, right? Here you have very smart, you have grad students, anthropology students who are going for their doctoral thesis or master thesis, whatever that means, whatever that word is. <laughs> he's he's a smart guy. It's a credit to Aster because Aster doesn't have a problem writing believable characters with believable dialogue. Yeah, it's like a drama of manners. I mean, they are acting like they're one way, but they're, they're cold at the same time and they're feeling another way. I mean, there's a lot of subtext here. I, th- I thought this was very well performed. Will Poulter, like I said, Jackson, like we said, Harper Jackson. Uh, Does Will Poulter serve any purpose from this other than attempted comedic relief? Well, yeah, I think he's, yeah. he's doing some cool stuff. With, with the way he interacts with Florence Pugh. Because she re- reluctantly comes on the trip. He is like the voice of reason, the best friend in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, trying to get the guy to break up with her after, I guess, the guy complained about her for a year. You can see where you and I differ on this. You, you call him the voice of reason because he was trying to get, get the relationship ended. And I, I think, you're a dick. Don't step in their relationship. True love exists, damn it. <laughs> I mean, you know, I've in, in a strange way, I've... I, been like in his shoes once or twice in You've my seen life. Seen the toxicity, and from I afar. know how hard it is not to just say that, right? And not to just say what he says, right, 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 right. Yeah. And at you. other times, you know, you, you you can't help yourself, right? But say, all right, maybe she's kind of a jerk right now. <laughs> <laughs> maybe she's driving you crazy. Can we just go have fun? <laughs> Can we just play softball? Can we just go out and party again with the phone call? I was gonna say, yeah, I think your brother is think, yelling at the TV, yeah. or yelling at the radio right now, and we're having to do that role with me a couple times. So <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm just always a third wheel. That's yeah. might been my life. But uh, some of those. Well, you're my partner, bud. Some of those friends are married. Some of those friends are not married. And I think I did a good job. I think I did a good job where I could. Like you turned that into an opportunity to pat yourself on the back. Good job. I bet that maybe I was a little Will Poulter at times as well. So I don't know. It's it's hard. I mean, these characters are well rounded. That's very, and I and that's what makes you again. This isn't edge of your seat horror. This isn't 
two and a half hours of, oh my God, what's coming next? But what Asa does is he gives you breadcrumbs and whether it is a grotesque scene quickly or whether it is the being invested in these characters emotionally or because they're so relatable and well-rounded, he, he gives you enough breadcrumbs to keep you involved in the plot. And yes, there is downtime. I mean, nothing gory happens in the first hour of this movie. Right. But you're still invested in watching and keeping up with it because there's enough there. And that's, again, a credit to Aster, a credit to all these actors putting down these performances. It's not something every director and every writer can do. All that being said, there are disturbing scenes Very. throughout. Very. And to bookend the film in particular. Mm -hmm. And look, I mean, if you're not in the right headspace to go into a movie like this, I mean, think about hereditary how it dealt with grief this is dealing with grief as well Very, yeah and tragedy and it's happened in Ari Aster's life he's mentioned it to his family and friends and he's dealing with it and he deals with it by making movies about it so yeah I agree with you the the length of the film and the the lack of being super plotted it's a blessing and a curse because it has the after effect to get into some script thoughts here the after effect of going on the journey with the characters and allowing the characters to to work on you in due time because i think the psychological journey of a novel of a movie like this it takes longer to play out and i think if this was a super tight script of an hour and a half you'd have a hard time pulling that off, pulling off that magic. Agree. But this plot it makes you very sad. It makes you very anxious. You feel that dread. Yeah. It disturbs you. It grosses you out. Uh, you're laughing in other scenes. Yes. Uh, you're, you're in awe of the uh, production values. It's gorgeous. I mean, you have moments of, of I don't want to say joy, but you have moments of enjoyment. Sure. For Without sure. Question. So, Without I mean, question. It's a, and then there's catharsis at the end. So... I do think if you're up for this movie, if you're up for what we talked about, you can enjoy it. That's my final non-script thought, I would say, before this Oscar lens. How about you? You, you think? How do you want to help audiences manage their expectations? I, I think by pointing out what it's not, like you did, and saying that it's not this supernatural horror, it's not this, it's it's not this monster, this jump scare horror. I think that's important to to realize going in. It's definitely something that's more cerebral and psychological. I think that's going to mess with your mind over time. You can't expect answers to every thread either, and that's part of the frustration of the film with me. And we'll talk about it in the spoilers. But the, he he doesn't give you this neat, tidy package, even though it is two and a half hours. He doesn't answer every question of you, and he doesn't answer every question that he presents. Not even questions that you would come up with. Like, he purposely puts visuals and stuff in this that aren't given an ending concretely. Whether they're left to your own devices is something that we can argue about. Mm -hmm. But uh, this is a different type of movie. And it's just, I, I left this movie, and I said this out loud, walking to the exit. I was like, well, that's Ari Aster for you. <laughs> and uh, people heard me, and they laughed. And so I think they relate, and I think that's what we're getting here. Now, I walked out of this movie feeling like, ugh, I need yeah. a shower, and I don't want to see this movie again. And then after watching all the YouTube videos, reading a dozen articles, listening to all the interviews, the movie made me want to do that. It made me want to study it more. Sure, it and stays with you. I woke up yesterday morning, I even tweeted it out, that I was like, all right, I'm going to see this again tonight. I got to the moment of truth. I, I got home from work. I was tired, tired as hell. <laughs> and I was like, do I go see it again or do I just read up on it some more? And I, I opted not to see it again. That's just where my head was at. But it's worth studying, and I am curious to see it again. I may not be able to do that for a couple of years, though. Yeah, fair take. It definitely sticks with you, and, and it's something that rattles around in your mind. Uh, let's move on to an Oscar lens here, Michael. Florence Pugh probably gets consideration. 
she probably picks off a few nominations at the Satellite Awards or something something non-mainstream, I would say. Yeah, if she gets in any kind of conversation and Tony Collette didn't last year, I'm going to be furious. Well, Tony Collette was nominated for a bunch of things. She was in the Critics' Critics Choice. Critics' stuff. That's the top, that's her biggest mainstream award she got, so. Right. I I don't think, at the end of the day, Florence Pugh is going to crack into the major I agree, but not not for reasons that we assumed previously, because we were on record saying it seemed like it was going to be too gross for Academy consideration. It's not that. It's that, like we said, it's more of a psychological type thing. But, that said, I, I still agree. I don't think that she's going to be cracking at the Oscars. Now, would you say that the production design, cinematography, original score, would you say those are worthy of Oscars? Worthy of potential top five consideration for you, particularly? Production design, yeah. I would agree. Yeah. A cinematography I could be talked into... Usually, these types of cinematography films aren't the ones that actually get get through. And so, so we're forecasting no, right. but our hearts are saying yes a little bit to to a few of these. Yeah, for sure. I would love to see it at least be talked about and at least be competitive. We're gonna see. I think there's a, a conversation that if you're gonna nominate this, why wouldn't you also talk about us from Jordan Peele? Right. So it's gonna be interesting. And horror movies still aren't, you know, as much as Get Out, as much good Get Out did two years ago. Horror movies are still kind of taboo at the Oscars. Maybe the Widening Academy, now that they've been there a couple of years, can start opening up and being more accepting of different genres. <laughs> I hate that word, but um, that's where I fall. Well, that's a good place to segue here because yeah. I want to talk about Jordan Peele. I think these two careers are linked, Astor and Peele's, because they especially debuted, after what Peele said about this movie. Yeah, they yeah. debuted in uh, back-to-back years. Mm-hmm. There, Jordan Peele came out in the marketing of this, saying this is a film you got to reckon with. That it's going to be a new type of movie that acts as a touchstone for future directors, for anybody who works in this genre. Sure. They're going to have to tackle this film. I wanted to ask you this question. The gap between Get Out and Us is a few points for you and I, right? Yeah. Is the gap between Hereditary and Midsummer larger than the gap between Get Out and Us? Because we both agree Get Out and Hereditary are better than the follow-ups necessarily. But are who's is, who's got the better follow-up, I want to ask? That's a really good question. My instinct is to say Peel's follow-up was better only because... I still think, as of July 4th, 2019, that's worthy of Academy consideration for directing. Right. I have a harder time making... I can make that argument for Aster here. I have a harder time making it. I think if you're going to make me pick between the two, I would lean towards Peel. Um, And I also think Peel's might have been higher concept, as difficult as that is to talk about, because this is a very high concept movie in itself. So I would say the same thing. Even though I enjoyed parts of Midsummer, I enjoyed the whole of uh, of yeah. us. I even forgave us of some of its faults because I enjoyed the movie. My so frustrations much. with us aren't as prevalent as my frustrations with this movie either. Yeah, I, think that's I, I really have fall. a distaste for this genre of film in a way. <laughs> just to, just to well, maybe if you didn't define it beforehand, you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. I, yeah, your point is well taken. Uh, I. I I also am interested when we talk about why that is in spoilers. I have a tough time landing on one reason. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if it's just because this... I mean, is this like an open-ended script in a lot of ways? It's not neatly packed. It's not yeah, tight. I do have one reason. But okay. We'll, okay. Get, we'll, right. get, we'll get Good. to it. <laughs> it's gross. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> uh, any, any kind of final non Is this a watch or is this not a watch? Again, it, the caveat of... Look, you're going to deal with disturbing stuff. Does that trigger you? Because you got disturbing real life stuff 
yeah, if you've suffered any sort of loss in any way, don't see this movie. Right. Or Reason. I don't know if it's therapeutic, but I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not a psychologist. If this is therapeutic, you need to go talk to somebody. <laughs> well, in the same way that Marilyn Manson's therapeutic to get help angry teenagers not actually act out on it. Right? This, you're making a case? I this don't is helping know. you? <laughs> Does that help some people? In the sense that we don't, we're not god and we don't know there's not a universal truth that help we know helps everyone cope yes i agree this could help some people yeah in all seriousness yeah i don't want to send the wrong person for this movie agree agree it's absolutely and agree. if that's our job as movie critics in a way to right. recommend or not you just get you, you should read up hopefully you got this far for that reason just eyes open be, yeah. be careful yeah but other, I mean, it's, cinematically, it's worth it. Yeah, this might be the best looking, or just overall package cinematography, production design, the way things are shot, the way the aesthetic. My lord, I'm going to talk about some of that in the spoilers. But this might be the most visually pleasing movie mm-hmm. thus far. I mean, even the gross stuff is contrasted so well, just from an artistic point of view. Yeah, yeah, it's gross, but I, you can't help but notice it. But I, so I think just watch this on mute. <laughs> If you're in a bad headspace, what? Yeah, well, just, just oh, because the score just, is disturbing. Well, the, the score and, and and some of the, I like the way it looks. I think it might be the most visually pleasing, even though there is gross stuff, right? So uh, that's that's where I land on it. But I absolutely agree. You have to be in the right headspace for this movie. We say that a lot about different horror movies, though. This isn't something a fun popcorn summertime horror movie watch like Annabelle Comes Home is. Right. You need to be in the right headspace for this. All right, let's dance. All right. Spoilers ahead. This is a spoiler. Spoilers. 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 This is the spoiler section of Ari Aster's follow-up to 2018's Hereditary movie. This is the movie event pod of Midsummer, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. If you've not seen the movie yet, this is a good place for you to hit pause. Go watch the movie. We'll be here waiting for you when you get back. If you've seen the movie already, if you're curious to hear about our thoughts on the spoilers, or if you've just been hyped up so much for the non-spoiler section that you can't go another minute without hearing what happened in Midsummer, this is where you want to be. All spoilers all the time from here on out as Mike, Mike, and Oscar presents their coverage of the movie event pod for Ari Aster's Midsummer movie, Michael. Yeah, let's start so off. We're gonna do what we've been doing the last few movie events, where we're gonna go chronologically in recap fashion, and then go off on tangents with our analysis, best and worst scenes, etc. So we start off. I don't know if they're in California. California. You have Danny, her boyfriend Christian, are having a tough time. Their relationship is struggling. Right away, we're starting with a relationship on the rocks and we're getting into the nitty gritty of it. We know these two aren't happy. Danny is getting uh, text messages or emails from her sister who's bipolar. Frustrated the shit out of me. They're not emails. They're clearly talking over Facebook Messenger. This is something I would correct my mother for saying. (laughs) Not supposed to be laughing now yet, but here we are. 
she gets a cry for help at that moment that the boyfriend talks away. Christian talks by. She's doing this to you every day. She's going into crisis mode every day. It's uh, infuriated me. At the end of the prologue, we see perhaps the most disturbing murder-suicide discovery by the emergency services uh, personnel. So the message that Danny is last left with from her bipolar sister, quote, I can't anymore. Everything's black. Mom and dad are coming too. Goodbye. Danny has that conversation with her, with Christian, her boyfriend, and Christian's being kind of a dick, saying, you let her be so dramatic, blah, blah, blah. And then, yes, we do realize that it's Danny's sister in her parents' house who has run both the cars in the garage and set up a hose leaving both to her face and the upstairs. She's carbon monoxide poisoned herself and, and Danny's parents. Broke my heart. Broke my heart for both of them. He's dealing with a lot of stuff there, too. Comforting her. She's yelling and screaming. Just in the just the most disturbing grief scene that we've seen since Hereditary. I mean, it just literally ripped me up. And Florence Pugh is going. For, I mean, she's yeah. wailing from the bottom of her lungs. And they, and they, you hear it. Yeah. You hear those screams. You hear those wails. I think that's an interesting choice. To yeah. sometimes you go the slow mo. Like we've talked about that. That's a pet peeve of ours. I think it works here. To, to really oh, sure. drive it home in the ground. It's like a graph, right? The more tragic the circumstance, the more accepting we are of that kind of reaction. It parallels. And this is, this yeah. is ultimate tragedy. And this is all happening before the freaking title card. <laughs> before the you get midsummer through the snow, snow which yeah. was cra- a crazy choice. It was not what I was expecting. You can barely see it, too. In barely the winter, visual. yeah. It, it also parallels what we get later on with all the breathe uh, group thing kind of thing. Right. I think that's the hive that they that, that they have with all the yelling and uh, that, that's fascinating to me so the big question from the prologue that i saw in an easter egg video i can't I mean, we did in the pre-production i tried to come up with it mike didn't believe me it's not the end of midsummer explained by insider that's a great video i loved it but yes. there somebody one of the videos i watched i couldn't find it said that there was a wreath or a crown of flowers left by the parents bedside when the emergency personnel was looking at this do we therefore think that this was not a murder-suicide, it was just a triple murder? You seem to say no. You... So the question is, is this one big conspiracy? What's the, was the midsummer folk involved with the killing of Danny's parents and kind of picking her personally? I don't. I didn't see the wreath. I don't know if there's one that exists. I didn't see it either. I, I think it kind of cheapens the story if it's a puppet master from, from this midsummer colony. In, I, in I would... The Wicker Man. Yeah. You had them luring him in right. with the investigation. Right. Right? Slight spoiler for the Wicker Man there. I don't know if it is. We're yeah, going to spoil the Wicker Man. It doesn't matter. Okay. We have a situation here where Pell could have done this, where Pell could have been grooming her because she had the correct birthday to be the next May Queen. Right. It's a big deal. I don't put it past this cult because Pell also tells a story. I don't know if he's lying or not. We just don't know. Tells the story about him and his brother. Their parents were killed in a car crash. We gradually hear this exposition yep. laid out. And then he's adopted by a cult commune. Would the state ever allow that? Never. In a million years, right? Any state would never allow a commune. It's over in Sweden. Look, I have no idea. I, I, I highly doubt that. Right. I, that could have been, a again, kill the parents. 
Colt takes these two kids. They're 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 going to be trained as agents. They are worldly kids. So right. They have a worldly background. I don't know how old they were when they were. You know, but that's I mean that's one of my counterpoints is that Danny is not a baby being taken in by this cult. This would have been a decision made to to harm this adult woman who's in this relationship. And also, we don't have any proof that anybody leaves the grounds of the cult outside of people that are bringing in others. And Danny wasn't supposed to be brought in on this trip at all. I mean, this was a trip that was planned for Pell to originally bring in Christian, her boyfriend, and the two other PhD students. You needed four, right? You needed four sacrifices. Because eventually, yep. eventually you need nine. You need a minimum of four. The brother gets two. I think he was supposed to get two, right? Yeah. You end up, or you need a minimum of five, actually. Anyway, you have Mark, Josh, and Christian. Mm -hmm. That's three. Uh, so bringing five for four, it's like you know basically sports. You need you need three guys for two spots. Two are going to start. The other one. So yeah. bringing they human sacrifices is essentially what the Bills went through in the late nineties with the quarterback controversy Same thing, between Doug Flutie and Rob Johnson. I got you. They brought in six for four. The fact that he brought in four for his two spots. You know, means he's the better brother and he's better at his job of uh, being a secret agent. That's why Ing Ingmar was willing to kill himself, I guess. recruiter, I guess. Um, I, do you think it adds to the story if the cult was the one that ended up killing the parents? I was feeling a disconnect between, between the, parents? the prologue and the, the because... Let me, let me stop. Let me Okay, there is a disconnect, without question. It's one of my biggest frustrations with this movie is that the, the parents' death doesn't get any kind of resolution. I don't even need it to be a big part of the plot, but there's no wrapping up correlation or anything between the parents' death and what happens in the plot outside of substantiating the fact that Danny is now alone in this world and susceptible to cult-like behavior and looking for a family of her own. Right. So, I mean, that's a big theme right. of the movie. And that's a big aim of the cult. But she's granted with she's she's given all these visions and these nightmares and it it doesn't go anywhere. Well, here's the thing. Like, she's also groomed to become a part of the group of girls, right? She's mm -hmm. asked to come in and help them cook. Mm -hmm. She's a part of the stuff before the the, the Maypole dance. Right. And then she's asked to be a part of the Maypole dance. That They didn't have to do that. They didn't do that to the other guys that were, they were going to kill. Those guys were anthropologists. They were curious. So maybe the, the, you know, the Venus flytrap was already set for them, and they wanted to bring everybody into the trap. I, I tend to think if that theory is true, and this is a fan theory right now that's being, you know, we're, we're discussing. It's not our theory necessarily. Right. If that's true, then there's much less of a disconnect for me. If if it was a cult I murder just think the whole time. Everything would have had to go right for this to have worked out the way the cult wanted it to. Yeah. Like, who's to say Danny wouldn't have been like what the London girl's name, Sophie or whatever her name was, if who she, was skeptical yeah. of everything when she gets, gets there, doesn't want any part of it, wants to leave of her own accord. So what's the plan then? So if Danny wasn't susceptible to the cult embracing her and she was opposed to everything they're doing, does this cult just kill everyone that has this birth month's family and trying to bring them in until they find one that sticks? You know, like, I, I, that's why I have well, a problem. Well, they definitely didn't take more than one shot at the apple. This was their one shot at the apple right. with this with this May Queen. Uh, so, But it's the only one we saw. I mean, you know, that's, yeah. I, I have, I, you seem to be in favor of it. I, I'm, I'm more questioning of it, I guess. But I, either way, I think it's an interesting theory. I think we're questioning the religion. Like, do they have, 
varying degrees of luck for their future. Like it's the most lucky situation if they get an outsider May Queen that they've distorted and 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 won over and lured into their cult. Is that the luckiest outcome for them? And it, and it's therefore the luckiest prophecy or the most positive prophecy for them. I, I think that's how they were thinking. If and, and that's why Pell gets the crown at the end and he's got the smut shit grin shit-eating grin on his face afterwards and he's got that smile a mile wide and he's being paraded as the champion and his brother's volunteering for a sacrifice my god you have this cult that i think the the greatest evil might have been hidden through and the, the greatest evil is in their motivation right with with distorting this this poor girl's whole life ruining her whole life yeah, so you're bringing up an interest, um, a different kind of question too. Like, did the May Queen always have to be an outsider? I don't. I don't think so. I think we, that would have been made clear, but I don't know. I just know that it's fascinating that Florence Pugh's rune. Everybody was given a rune, mm-hmm. right? A certain symbol, right? And her rune is supposedly something that means journey. And all right. these kids' ages are in their mid-20s, mm-hmm. which is in the middle of the second season, 1 through 18, 18 through 36, right. through 54. Through Spring is your first season, you're born. Summer is the second season. So she is literally... In the middle of summer, yeah. Living in the middle of summer, and so are the sacrifices. Right. So I thought that was fascinating. It's interesting. It's certainly an interesting theory, and I, I certainly was craving more of an explanation and a finite uh, closure of... The visions and the nightmares that that Florence Pugh's uh, Danny character was having throughout this movie, with regards to her family, or at least having it play some sort of role, I don't know. Just uh, just on blush, like on on the basis, on the face of it, hearing that makes me feel like I was cheated. I, it was a, it's the story is cheated in some way. So it's not enough foreshadowing for you. Yeah. It, well, if it was like one big puppet master, it's like so. This cult is just all powering. They can do whatever they want to whoever they want, whenever they want. I want to believe it. And I want to believe that they had plans A through Z. Yeah. Like they could have picked a non-outsider May Queen, and it could have been a different degree of luck right. prophesied for their community. I don't know, but I do think, I do think that's interesting to talk about. Yeah. I'm glad we did. So they go to Sweden. She's reluctantly on board. The friends are cold to her. The boyfriend is cold to her at this point. She's not wanting to do the hallucinogenics. Christian's a dick. We talked about the cinematography getting into the commune. We loved it. She's going on a bad trip. You get all that, cra- like the grass growing out of her foot. Oh, fuck, it's a new person. I, that My theater laughed out loud at that one when uh, Mark is tripping and there's yes. somebody else that's walking through. You think it's going to be an introduction of a new character and it's just a guy walking down the hill and Mark can't take that a new person is just walking there? I thought that was funny. That really was funny. <laughs> uh, I think Connie and Simon are the most logical in, in this group and they're killed immediately. So you have right. a horror movie where the smartest people, the ones who want to get the fuck out. So after- Connie and Simon are the other two outsiders brought to this festival by... Pell's brother, Ingmar, yes. uh, they're from London. They also met. A giant red flag, by the way, mm-hmm. upon introduction on how Ingmar met Connie and Simon. And his story is, oh, me and Connie were dating before Simon and Connie were dating. And Connie's like, we weren't dating. We went on one date. We'd, I didn't even know it was a date. And he's like, ah, well, whatever. We're all here now. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, that dude was uh, touched, yeah. as, as, they, as you like to say. <laughs> so... They're in the commune. It's amazing. It's a spectacle. It looks beautiful, right? We're just going to ignore the bear? <laughs> We're just going to ignore the bear. It's a bear. They're playing skin the fool. <laughs> we don't see anybody. Well, hey, look, of, of all things that skin the fool could have been, 
Right. <laughs> it's a good thing that it was just a dance. It's such a good thing. Right. <laughs> oh, my God. It's uh, just a dance. Have you ever been to an Albanian wedding? That's what Skin the Fool is. It's just people dancing in a circle with the leader holding a napkin. It's every Albanian wedding I've ever been to, because one of my best friends is uh, married to an Albanian girl, and this is what they do at every wedding. All right, good. Yeah. Good. It's a disgusting name. and we all It's not called it. that at okay. the Albanian wedding. Good. Yeah. Well, the Albanians have it right. Right. <laughs> Tip of the hat to you. So you get the opening toast to kick off the festival. That's something else. You get the uh, beautiful bunkhouse. With all the uh, paintings, you get Austin Powers jokes. This was the the, the bunkhouse was like hereditary almost. Mm. Like they the figures every time they're in there where they're the bunkhouse is where they spend they're supposed to sleep because of the tradition that everyone under the age of thirty six still has to sleep in the same room, uh, and you always met with that crying baby sound every night. I thought that was very off putting, but they, these they looked like figures in a dollhouse when the camera was wide enough back, and they they just just it really was a beautiful beautiful visual. The paintings in this movie mimics the use of the dollhouses in Hereditary, right. no question. We get the sequence by the cliffs on day two. Okay, This, this is, is a gross spectacle. It's gross, but my lord is it beautiful. I mean, I don't know how Ari Aster found this much white rock and sand to go against the white robes. Everything, the white people, everything is all white in the setting except for the blue robes of the people committing suicide and being helped to commit suicide and the deep, dark red that emanates from their bodies. It seems like it's built in ancient times because when you look up, you see that it's like a giant diving board. Right. So they must have done it with concrete and gradually built it out. Likewise. And I that, mean, my dad's a structural engineer. He would have said, how is that standing? Or he would have explained to me how that was standing. I, I don't know which, but it definitely looked unstable uh, in terms of, And it's not a natural rock formation is what I'm saying. So you think they purposely carved it out over time? That's yeah. interesting. I, I wonder why the rock where they put their bloody hands before they sacrifice themselves. That's like the cleanest rock I've ever seen. Yeah, like, I Everybody's thought, putting blood I mean, there. What's... Who's cleaning that rock? I guess they clean the rock. I mean, they freaking barbecued the uh, old people. Oh, God. So you get their last supper before all that, mm-hmm. which you knew something was up. You get the joke by Pell saying, what do you do after the after he explains the seasons? And he gives a throat-cutting gesture. <laughs> That's funny. Age 72? I knew it was going to happen. You, right. you know you know it's going to happen. He foreshadows it like crazy. The reactions by Florence Pugh, Jack Raynor. Great job by the uh, actors here. One guy doesn't die in the fall. The mallet man smashes the head. And then they all take turns smashing the head. So when the guy doesn't the die fuck? before he's hit in the face with the mallet and brought to his death, that's our first indication of this whole like group think unity thing going on here. Not only is everyone dressed alike, but when the guy's screaming out in pain yeah. for death, and we, the entire commune screams with him. We get that foreshadowed by the breathing ritual before the, their last supper mm-hmm. between the two. So that was building a little bit. And I, yeah, I love the arc with the breathing. Ari Aster seemed to be very cryptic about all the breathing. He just wanted to add something to the language. But I think that's a bigger deal than, than what it turns out to be, just like the clucking was in Hereditary. Yeah, shared um, experience type thing. Now, the old guy, what are you looking at? Like, she took a face dive. <laughs> you'll die. The old guy takes a feet first dive. 
What an idiot. It was a natural reaction trying to stop it halfway through. I don't know. God darn it. So we're explained, we're explained that the reason these sacrifices are happening is because once, instead of dying of old age and in pain, like a natural course of death, the people of this community have decided to kill themselves to make room for new life. So it's like trading an older life once you reach the age of, past the age of usefulness, 72 or whatever, 72 in this case, once you're past 72, you can kill yourself to make room for new babies and new blood to be coming into this community. Astupa, something like that. Yeah. Now... Jackson was told, Josh was told that word, and he seemed to recognize yes. it. And then when, you know, Jack Rayner, they're all asking, what does that mean? He's like, oh, you'll see. And he didn't <laughs> want to say, like, why didn't he not prepare them? I don't know. Simon and Connie freak out. Yep. Florence Pugh, as Danny, freaks out. They all want to leave immediately. But the two anthropology students, it makes sense that they would want to stay. They think they're in on the scoop Part of their... Part of some kind of culture. Yeah, yeah, they're in on the scoop of their career. Never yeah. mind thesis time. This, And of course... Jack Rayner is going to say, "Oh, I'm writing my thesis on this because I'm going to get published." Right. Right? I mean, we're going to we're going to Everything get... about Christians sucks. <laughs> yeah, a lot about Christian sucks. I would agree. I think it's purposeful. I have a theory about the it. The punishment doesn't fit the crime though, I will say. The crimes even. Well, we'll see. <laughs> so, basically the next day, one group decides to stay, Connie and uh Simon decide to leave. There's a whole snafu that's you're just calling bullshit on when Simon is gone all of a sudden and Connie can't find him. You know, Danny tells Christian about this and isn't this weird? And Christian's just like total in, in anthropology mode right now. Christian after. is a useless human being. Well, and then Christian talks to the other guys like, I'm writing my thesis yep. on this and that's a big scene. Mark pisses on the ancestral tree. I wish they had more of an explanation of that. So he literally just goes to pee, and he goes off on the side. He finds this dead tree. He pees on it, and he, the, one of the townspeople flips out at him, saying this has ties to our ancestors. It's It has to do with our ancestors' bodies, and they're buried here, and, and Pell has to explain all this to him. I, like, give me more. Tell me more about that tree. Why is it so important? What does it have to do with dead bodies? I don't know. I don't know either. I think they <laughs> sprinkled the ashes on the tree after the barbecue, the human cue. Oh, okay. I don't remember. Yeah, tell me that. I don't know. I think the Mark stuff is fascinating. He's staring at the other guy across the dinner table. Like this, this is the scene from Sunny when Mac and Charlie are staring across the restaurant <laughs> at each other. The fucking the one Same guy just scene. there, they're ready to jump at him. Like, I'm sure him Ari Aster referenced that scene there. So yeah, and then you know Mark gets lured away by the girl who was he was flirting with kind of throughout, giving him eyes the whole time. Yeah, so, he finally says, "Come here, let me show you." And so, so Mark's all he's there. Mark, it's all, as his credit again. All Mark has talked about when he's had independent thought throughout this movie is having sex, impregnating right. Swedish girl, you know, getting laid. So it makes sense that when she's like flirting with him the entire time, giving him the eyes, and is finally like, "Hey, let me show you something." He's like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll be right back." So Mark's gone. Christian and Connie are gone now. We see that uh, finish where. Uh, Connie is then supposedly transported to the train station later, but basically they're gone. We don't know what happens to them. We figure we know what happens to them. We hear screams in the distance at some point as we, as it leads into night, and then we see Josh sneaking away to take photos of that religious sanctuary, take photos of the sanct uh, sacred book that religious, we religious text. Yeah, we saw them talking about earlier. So later in that scene, the craziest thing. Yet happens. So this is the first escalate. The first actual act of violence, like right. like 
intended violence as opposed to the suicides where yeah. where yeah. Mark is there or Josh is there looking at the religious Mark text. is there too in a way. Mark is there too in a way. He's taking pictures with his phone of the religious text which he was told specifically he cannot do when he asked for permission. He turns, he thinks Mark, and again, this is Ari Aster playing with the camera because we can only see the reflection in the window that Josh is facing. We see somebody enter the room behind Josh. He turns, he thinks it's Mark. He gets malleted on the back of the head. He's dead. Mm-hmm. And we find out that somebody has taken Mark's face and put it over his own. So he's wearing <laughs> like a mask, like Leatherface. Disgusting, yeah. crazy, disturbing. Next morning they wake up. Uh, Christian is, is confronted by one of the elders talking about the missing book. We'll leave the place open. Somebody put the book back. Mm-hmm. Now we have them offered hallucinatory drinks. And then it's like girl time with Danny. Like she's invited to cook. They're making meat pies or whatever. They're, they're tarts, whatever they're making there. There's a pubic hair that gets put into one of them on purpose. Which so is it's a more literal version of what's been figuratively happened between Danny and Christian throughout this movie. Danny is taken aside and she's kind of prepped for her life within this commune. And Christian is taken aside and told to go look for Mark and go look for Josh and go look for the religious text. This society has taken a strain on their relationship up to this point as it is. They've been growing further apart. Christian is just not even acknowledging Danny in some scenes and not giving her giving her any kind of response or reaction. When Sophie, when the two London people go missing, he gives nothing to her. And Danny's just getting more and more, you can see, frustrated. And now they're literally being just growing apart they're going their separate ways at their most vulnerable christian is then offered the mating ritual with the other girls been giving them eyes the whole time kicking them during the dance scenes to try and flirt by the leader of the commune that's a very intimidating meeting room and a very intimidating meeting Mm -hmm. we get all the maypole dance preamble and then we get danny as part of the maypole dancing ritual which is a gorgeous sequence yeah it's incredible to watch that dance till you drop sequence, dance till you run into each other sequence. She wins. Christian is watching. He's tripping balls. I, I like that they were under the influence the entire time because it totally takes away your inhibition. Like, why aren't any of these people objecting to any of this going on? Well, they can't. They're being drugged. And you see her having a blast. Like, yeah. she is finally able to relax and just dance. It's very therapeutic for her. Mm-hmm. She's loving it. They have the May Queen dinner. Right in honor of her, she has to swallow the herring for half a second, which is whatever. But you have uh, the guy clapping in, in Christian's face. He's really starting to have a bad trip now mm-hmm. with all the stress on him. Does he? Does he have sex with this girl? Does he not? So Danny is taken away to bless the cross because that's what the May Queen has to do. And while she's off doing that and being treated like some sort of flower Cinderella with her carriage there that all the young women are pulling. Mark It's is, a ruse because... Yeah, I'm sorry, Christian yeah. is treated, to, is is told to basically go with Maya, the red-headed girl, and, and have sex with her to, to get me, new blood into the society. To me, that's too coordinated not to have been a setup from the jump. I think they set her up to become the May Queen to win the game. Because that I would agree with. When you watch the flower procession, yeah. the flower procession goes in one way with all the little kids dropping flowers, and then they keep dropping flowers towards the mating ritual where they lead Christian off to. Hmm. So it's it's really fascinating uh, in terms of those arcs. I, me- I failed to mention before, during the pubic hair tart, <laughs> there was also, his drink was also redder. Yep. And I, they, everybody's saying that that yep. was blood. Menstrual was, blood, yeah. But anyway, we have the mating ritual, Mike, while she's going through the procession as the May Queen. Well, we've all been here. <laughs> so there's this, this really intense sex scene of... 
it's it's Suspiria with the lights turned on is how I thought of it. Like, <laughs> like Christian enters this barn and we see from Maya's perspective, her legs start opening as Christian gets derobed and he's derobed by one of several women who are there. Young to old women, there's like 10 of them, completely bare-ass naked. Yep. They're chanting, essentially, and as they start having sex, whenever Maya moans with pleasure, it's echoed by those naked women surrounding them. Maya then reaches out for one of the women, who grabs her hand and comes like face-to-face with Christian during sex and starts singing. It's exactly like my first time when I lost my virginity. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's the most bizarre and off-putting sequence of events Danny is blind to all of it because she's still off blessing crops and in her flower dress. Mm-hmm. And so when Danny finally comes back, she comes back just after Mark has finished. Mark and Maya have finished. And well, no, she comes back during the finale. During the oh, that's right. No, she goes, uh, she's hears yeah. it. She hears. She comes back. She hears the moaning. That's right. Thank you. <laughs> and she looks through, despite being warned that she's not going to want to see what don't, she sees. Don't look through there. She looks through the doors and sees this happening because she can hear all the moans. That's what's dragging her into. And when you have ten women mimicking an orgasm moan, it's going to cause some attention. I think. Looks through the keyhole, which is a powerful moment. Freaks the hell out. Mm-hmm. She sees her boyfriend doing that, and that's the last straw. I mean, obviously it would be, but that's you know, Danny has finally come all this way on her own, and she sees that her boyfriend, who she's growing more and more weary with, is cheating on her. So the momentum continues because he finishes after a little help, <laughs> a little push, Ridiculous. which made me laugh so hard. Yeah. Number one, the, the woman who knelt down made me laugh. Oh. And then Kim getting pushed in the butt made me laugh really <laughs> hard. So I, I, I'm just too awkward not to laugh. But the people in my theater were laughing. So I wasn't the only awkward I was fool. in stunned silence with people. She's like, what the fuck? So... Everything finishes. She has then the screaming, crying exercise almost. So it's everything, the everything a woman does in this is more grouped together. And I think that's a way of to, to promote sisterhood and unity and familyhood. Right. Like when, when Maya is moaning in pleasure, the women moan with her and echo her sounds. When Danny runs off after seeing Christian having sex with Maya, she's wailing in disappointment and grief in the and agony. House. And with, the, with all the girls. All, and all the flower girls start mimicking her moans of agony and, and depression and anger. And she seems to not enjoy it, but she seems to continue. Like lead them. Lead them. Yeah. And she buys into it. Right. And it's the total opposite of her crying in Christian's lap at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. Talk about a parallel, or like I said, an opposite there, a perpendicular, I guess. I mean, totally different. So he leaves naked, momentum continues, nowhere to go. That's just terror. For me, like, what the hell? Bare-ass naked, doesn't know where to go, stumbles into a different barn. Don't stumble into barns in this place. (laughs) He stumbles into a different barn. You got the Blood Eagle Viking torture thing going on. Simon from London. I don't want to describe this to people, or do you? Is strung up. He's still alive. And he's still alive, except his lungs are are out through his back. It's a torture device. And Ari Aster researched it, and it really did exist at one point. That's the grossest thing. Sick, sick man. Ugh, that, so that freaked me out. The flower eyes, Jesus. So Christian is knocked out there by a you know blow of fairy dust magic by dust, one of yeah. magic <laughs> dust, and he wakes up to that terrifying woman say, "You can't move or speak. Just watch." And we they, get pretty much the Wicker Man ending here. So you get the Wicker Man ending. You get the two volunteers. Mm-hmm. The third one is drawn by Lottery, which is like a shout-out to The Lottery, the Shirley Jackson short story that is really excellent. Then the May Queen must choose the last sacrifice. She stares at Christian. You get that cross cut. 
then you don't know what's going to happen because then you go right to the bear being carved up and eviscerated and by, by the guy, the elder, and the kids, mm-hmm. right? The bear's dead, and it's on a slab. And then you get Christian bring, being brought in. You're thinking the worst. I'm hoping for the best there, but you're thinking the worst. <laughs> and in the next scene, you have the big staged barn, that hidden palace that you weren't supposed to go in, the sacred uh, triangular like a giant building. giant teepee, yeah. Giant teepee there. You have straw people with the killed members of the group's faces on there, Mark... Josh, mm-hmm. Connie, Simon. You get the two volunteers who are given USAP poison. It doesn't numb them. It doesn't work. <laughs> no. U- USAP was said by a lot of the articles I read to not have any medicinal properties other than being poisonous. Yeah. So it doesn't work. And then you get Good. Christian brought in. He's wearing the bear The skin. bear carcass, yeah. And he's put in the middle of all this. He can't move or speak. None of them can move. Uh, one, I guess one guy can because he ends up screaming. Um, and the teepee is set ablaze, and the whole town people get to watch as these sacrifices are made. They all they're all yelling with the and when they hear the screams of pain, they yell along because this is again this is a society, this is a family. It's I all think one whatever. one mind, and we see this kind of sadistic smile end up over the face of Danny as she yeah watches after this she goes burn down yeah she goes through like a gamut of emotions. Yeah. Where she's up she's freaked out, she's upset, about to cry, and then she smiles. End of movie. Yeah. And that's where we end. Um, there's a lot of subtext and a lot of, obviously, uh, there's a lot of takes about what this is about. To me, it hit me over a head, over the head when I thought, this is, a, to me, a feministic movement about a toxic relationship. Not so toxic that it's, you know, physically abusive, but it's mentally the draining. The metaphor of it. All right. Yeah, she, I mean, this is a woman that she deals with tons of shit in this movie, and a lot of it is due directly to how Christian deals with her. Like, she says outright in the beginning she feels she depends on Christian too much, but the reality is he's not as invested in her as a good partner should be, given her mental state and what she's going through. He doesn't want to hear about her bipolar sister causing drama. Just don't deal with it, is his advice. He doesn't really want her to come to Sweden at all. He just asks her in the first place because he thinks it'll cover his ass, and she was already upset about him, so it's like, how can I get out of her being mad at me? Uh, He totally forgets her birthday when they're in sweden but she takes the blame for it saying well i didn't really remind him like are you fucking kidding me so to me this was a a typical story of how the wrong partner can wear someone down and when she's left to her own devices when she is even though she's kind of manipulated away from christian when she separates herself from him and finds her strength and finds all this beauty with the literal beauty of all the flowers and the, the openness of it all. She finds that she's a queen. She finds she's this badass character that everyone looks up to, even if it is manipulated, she's still finding her self-confidence in this way to the part where she needs to ax her ex. So I, I take what you said and I run with some of it here, mm-hmm. my take, because I, I don't necessarily, I want to push back on some right. of it. I think this has been staged for her winning the May Queen. I don't disagree. So the fact that she has the agency to do this, I do think it's all been manipulated. And I, I will go back as far as saying it's manipulated from the jump, but that's just my take on it right now because I want to believe that. So if that's the case, she is basically going from one dependent, codependent relationship to a, a, a worse one. And this is how cults gain their power. She is not becoming powerful in herself she is basically learning to depend on another group, which is so much worse than Christian, who has his many faults, but she is actually lured into this Venus flytrap 
becoming the queen and being manipulated into joining this cult. But seeing how pleased she was with how it all turns out, can't you make the argument that, yes, while that is what's happening, she's being accepted for who she really is, and who she really is is not that great of a person in her own right. I mean, I I have my issues with her as well, but there's no answer you're going to convince me of that says... Her, who she is in her own right, deserves to be a part of a, a death cult. <laughs> I don't. I think. I, that's, that's, I don't think anybody should should work themselves up to that point. I think that is the absolutely contemptible ends of cult recruitment. Yeah, I'm not trying to say that like literally you should burn your ex to death in a fire, but metaphorically, <laughs> if I'm talking you do, just about. <laughs> I'm talking just about the analogy of being separated, finding yourself, and finding peace somehow okay. without being, when you finally get the strength to leave a toxic relationship. Now, again, literally, finding solace in a cult, in a death cult, probably not the best. Yeah, I, I would just disagree <laughs> with the connection between the metaphors, uh, means and ends. The means is the cult. And the cult right. is a metaphor for what? Right-wing politics, whatever it might be. For her to go from being codependent on a guy that was cult That her, is a good point, yeah. For her to be, to, to her being codependent on this group of psycho-death cultists right. is much worse. Right. I, and, I, and it basically shows the vulnerability of someone in her state of mind. Yeah, again, I'm, I'm not focusing on what literally happened when I say this point, because you're absolutely right. Like, finding yeah. solace in... The, the, the Day of God cult or whatever well, it's like is going to be. The a... cults prey upon these people. Right. They have throughout history, they have throughout Ari Aster's research, they are contemptible and just damnable for doing so. Right. Agree. Absolutely and agree. This is a basically an exploration into that. So it's not a feminist statement as much as it's a feminist horror movie. Like, this is the horror of gaining power through the, the this Manipulative means. Of females who, who manipulate her. Uh, another thing I did want to highlight. I agree. I, I think you I think you did good to deconstruct my, my take there. I think that's... that's I probably land closer to what you're saying than where I originally thought. But the other thing I wanted to highlight is you just mentioned it in passing. Yeah. How it could be about the, the... And I've seen this in a couple places. It's about the rising of the right. The, the homogeny of Sweden. politics and Sweden in general. Yeah, yeah, all that. Um, I think that is definitely hit on in a couple places. The spread of news and the, the fake news cycle, however you want to define it, I thought that was interesting, too, because everyone in that cult knew exactly what was going on and exactly what the cover story was at every turn. Like, as soon as the two people from London go missing, yeah. Danny even checks the story that she's told about Simon by asking one of the cooks when she's in the kitchen, yeah. and she gives the exact same beats step for step as to what this cover story is. It's misinformation and it's planned. Right. And it's orchestrated. Disseminated on a wide scale. Yeah, I definitely think he's saying something about it. I think he's saying something about religion. You you mentioned yeah, it. Yeah, without this, question. And I, he, I, I'm going to be shocked if it doesn't <laughs> come out. Like the first expose about Ari Aster doesn't come out that he had a religious upbringing. And yeah, this I mean, is he's, like a Jewish, he's of Jewish descent. And I think he did have a religious upbringing. And I think he's this revolting against through it. it. Yeah. Working through it, revolting against it now. Very obviously. You also have... Christian being named Christian. You have mm-hmm. this whole festival being uh, basically taken from pagan ritual into Christian r- ritual based on John the Baptist, who essentially takes the Jewish faith into the Italian mainstream or the Roman mainstream back then. So you had this homogeny, I'm not using that word right, with the Roman Empire 
and then you had all, all these new people taking seats of power after there was a genocide during the Christian, you know, dawn, mm. I guess you could say. So th- that horror is a part of this whole thing. And I think he works in the, all of the symbolism. So th- I think there is something like The Shining, even though this movie's not like The Shining, hearkening back to all these sieges of terror. You know, because you have the, the it wasn't Nike shoes, I think those were New Balance shoes, but there's a close-up on the shoes, which was, you know, one of the videos talked about the sneakers being part of one of those, you know, drink the Kool-Aid mass suicide cult yeah. attempts, right? You know, and by focusing on the big N on the shoes, maybe they couldn't get Nike to sign off, <laughs> but you focus on the big N of, you know, Josh's shoe there after he goes to bed and mm-hmm. wakes up the next morning. I think that's purposeful, and I think there's a Waco reference in here. There's, I think there all is that stuff. Is, yeah. I think the more we would watch this movie, the more we would get that stuff. I, I think you're right on. What about the idea that it also? I mean, I guess this goes in line with the rise of the right wing and all that. But you could say definitely there's an anti-immigration message in here too, or at least a commentary on having an anti-immigration stance. The only person to join the cult at the end of the movie is the same kind of blonde. Right. Lily White person. I mean, Florence Pugh is beautiful, but she is very Caucasian. She's the most Caucasian of that group, you might say, if not for Will and Poulter. The, these people make the outsiders stick out like a sore thumb. They're the only ones with colored clothing. Yeah. You know, they're the only ones that look, they look disheveled and if, sick when they Look, if I go to a Midsummer Festival and they don't give me the white robes, I am leaving <laughs> that festival. Number one, I'm not going, but, <laughs> right? Yeah. Oh, I, my God. I, I agree. So I, I think there's a lot of stuff. That is hidden within the subtext here. That said, I was left wanting by this movie. Yeah, I think the metaphors are, are very subtle. I think within more study, we can figure them yeah. out better. But it's not like us, where you have this just monstrous mythology and you get an exposition dumps. Instead of exposition dumps, you're getting a procedural Right, you're getting yeah. the procedural in the Midsummer Festival. You got nine people dying over the course of the first four days. Days five, six, seven, eight, nine it must be worse. <laughs> it's a good thing this only happens ninety years. Otherwise, this cults, you know, they would have to recruit much more than they do, right? Yeah. Because they would all be dead after a couple of years. <laughs> so like every ninety years, it's just mass murders throughout the real land until they find a, a queen that's willing to accept them. I mean, it's something that they could essentially plan for. You know, if you got a 90-year event, then they can plan. It's, it's in their mythology. <laughs> a lot of downtime to... <laughs> it's in their religion. Yeah, I mean, they could have planned for it. I mean, it could have been something that the elders were preparing the, the group for forever. Gun to your head, do we see this come Oscar time for anything? No, we do not. Uh, and I guess this is a good spot for final yeah. grades, right? I have a B86 because I, I do believe the goods are there. I, I do not think i enjoyed this movie as much as i did not enjoy it like i was more disgusted by the movie than i enjoyed it but i liked studying it what does that say about me i don't well, know it's a, it says that ari aster was a hell of a director it does is what it says and a hell of a writer i don't like movies like this right. to be honest i really don't they bother me like i'll never see the inferno by eli roth right. i'll never see it the green, green inferno, inferno. Never. Yeah, I don't know that I would. Uh, there, there was a, a bunch of other homages to, you know, sacrifice movies, Cannibal Holocaust. Cannibal Holocaust I've never seen. Yeah. Unless, I, I, unless I put it on by accident, one of those movies, <laughs> and I get caught up. Like, I don't want to watch that. And this movie totally got me watching it. Damn it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I had 85B just because I don't know what the hell to do with this. Like, I don't know. It's not a great movie. It's good. There's a lot here to unpack. 
I don't think it's an Oscar movie. Maybe it should be a couple points lower in my book. I think if somebody totally dispels the theory that it was the cults doing all along, I'm going to like this movie a lot less. Because then I'm seeing the disconnect. That's interesting. Because they didn't follow through on all her hallucinations of her mom and dad. I hate they, that. That's that's the one thing that's sticking with me. And I, I hate that that's something... It seems like with everything that happens in this movie, that's such a minor piece to stick with me. But it's I can't get over it. But if that was the through line for the antagonism, yeah. then it works. Right? I, I guess. think it does work. I guess. I just wanted... The visuals are so cool. Just have it go somewhere. Yeah. I don't know. I'm frustrated. I'm still frustrated. Uh, that's that's probably where I'll land on it as well. But obviously, as always, we want to hear your guys and what you thought about this movie. Are we wrong? Do you think it does have something to do and something to say? Come Oscars time. Uh, reach out to us. Let us know. Any co- thoughts, comments, questions, concerns about anything else we do in the MMO universe. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram. MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com, .com, and on Reddit. We are available everywhere. You hear podcasts. Tune in, Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, etc., etc. Michael, uh, with some words of wisdom, and what do we got next? I'm going to actually take the the last, the earliest part first this time. Okay. The wisdom is: don't do drugs during midsummer festivals <laughs> where you're out of costume from the rest of the group, where you're anthropologists investigating cults uh, during a once in a ninety year festival. Break up from toxic relationships. <laughs> don't linger in those, and don't cuckold Florence Pugh. Finally. This is not my wisdom. This is wisdom according to Ari Aster. I think that's all well-founded. Good, good, solid reasoning. <laughs> all right, what's coming next? We're doing Death Proof to finish out this week. Uh, it continues our Quentin Tarantino rewatch series leading up to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. We just finished our our Pixar rewatch series, which was awesome. We did an award show to cap it all off, yeah. including a review for Toy Story 4. We're really proud of that. If you have not listened to that series Please start clicking on that. Yeah. You will enjoy it. We've been innovating these movie review formats for these rewatch series, as we always did, even going back to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Mike. Uh, we've been having fun with that. We will figure out a movie event format. We We're some, close. Got some ideas that, that could be a lot of fun that tie into the award season that we cover. We'll have a ton of Oscar sprint profiles coming for you guys, and, mm-hmm. and they're going to start you know, coming, dropping in late July and mid-July maybe and definitely in August and of course uh, into the fall and uh, I'm really excited about a lot of the other ideas we have for this medium and other mediums too yeah yeah, a lot of stuff in the pipeline from MMO coming uh, as the months get closer and closer to Oscar season so be on the lookout for that guys when reality sucks you can come watch movies with us even if None of us really understand any of them or what the hell's going on with them. Trying to make award season year-round without all the stuffiness. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar, and we will check you out in a couple of days.